Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. So we're talking about our prayer. We've been on this journey of prayer over the last few weeks. And so I kicked it off. Uh, whoa. It's the end of my message. Thanks for coming, everybody. It was nice to see you. We were right back there. Well, I can remember what I was talking about. I talked about the fact that we were created to hear God's voice. And we spoke out of 1 Samuel chapter 3, where God called Samuel. And then in verse 7, after Samuel had heard God's voice twice and responded to it, it says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And so the big takeaway from that was that, look, we're all created to hear God speak. I don't want to ever hear anybody say, I can't hear God speak. You can hear God speak. You were created to hear God speak. Whether you're male or female, whether you're Christian or Muslim or Hindu, whether you're gay or straight, whether you're an adult or a child, it doesn't matter. If you were created by God, you were created with the capacity to hear God speak. Where we struggle sometimes and where we fall over is that we don't recognize that it's God talking when God speaks to us. And so I talked about the three things that can make it hard for us to recognize God's voice, and that's that we are unfamiliar with His voice or we're unfocused on His voice or something. Sometimes we're unable to receive, we're unreceptive, and things like sin can get into our life. Unbelief is a sin, unforgiveness is a sin, just regular crappy sin is sin, and that's this, it just creates this white noise in your life that makes it really hard to recognize anything else that's going on. Uh, and then Jared spoke, and he talked about the fact that if we're praying, and even when we don't hear God speak back, which happens a lot of the time, uh, we can still trust his character which is a great thing to remember. When you're praying and you're going through a season where you're just not getting a lot back, you're feeling that this is pretty much all one way, doesn't mean he's not listening, doesn't mean he's forgotten, he is still working, he's still on our side because God is good all the time. And then Dan talked last Sunday about recognizing God's voice through Scripture. When we're reading the Bible, it's a fantastic way to recognize when God's speaking to us and to learn to recognize his voice. And so he talked about making sure that we are Focus and intentional when we read our Bible. And he gave us three questions, uh, which was to pray for insight, to be aware of keywords and phrases, and then, yeah, what questions come to mind. So when you're reading your Bible, you just start off by praying for insight, and then you're just kind of flicking through it to see what God's doing and make sure you're jotting down your questions and stuff. And so that was a great message as well. I enjoyed listening to that. But this morning, I want to talk about recognizing God's voice through us, like when God speaks directly to us. It's like an impression. There's a thought. There's something that pops into your head or into your heart. And you're left with the question, was that God or was that not God? Has everyone ever thought that question? Like, I've got this idea. I've got this thought. I have this impression. How do I know if it was God? Or how do I, how do I know if it was just the cheesy pizza I had for dinner last night? Or is it actually the other guy, the bad guy? Is he speaking to me in this moment? And there's this beautiful example in the Bible where Peter, who is hands down my favorite disciple because he's such a numpty, he, he has his experience with God. And what I love about Peter is that every time he has the chance to kind of take the win and just walk away, he just, he can't do it. He has to just push it and then it blows up in his face. So, you know, he, he gets out on the water and he walks on it and you're like, yes, Peter, it's a win. And then down he goes, ah, oh, Peter. You know, he has something good happens and then he just goes one step too far. And so there's this part in the Bible where Jesus and his disciples are hanging out and Jesus is like, hey, yo, what's the chatter around town? Like, who do, who do people think that I am? 
And the disciples, they're like, well, some people think you're Elijah, and some people think you're Moses, and yeah, it's a lot of very confused people out there. And, and Jesus says, yeah, who do, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Son of God. He has this, like, the highlight of his ministry right there, and Jesus looks at him, and in front of all of his friends and all of the disciples, he says, Peter, God told you that. You heard God speak. That was God speaking to you, and you heard him, and that revelation's come from God. And you can just see Peter going, oh, oh, yeah, like I'm it, I'm it, right? And you just think, Peter, just take the win and just move on. But no, he can't. Because like three or four verses later, Jesus goes, right, well, I better head into Jerusalem. I've got some stuff to do there. And Peter's still feeling like, man, I've got this direct line to God. And he says, no, Jesus, no, you need to stay here. It's not safe. And Peter, uh, Jesus turns around and looks at him in front of everyone and says, get behind me, Satan. Like Peter shifts from going, I can hear God to like two minutes later. And I also hear Satan, right? Like, oh, Peter, poor guy. But how many of us feel like we're in that space? Like, well, is it God? Is it Satan? Is it this? Is it that? Very confusing. And so what I've got for you this morning is I've got a message, like, how do I know it's God? I've called it five filter formula for finding Father's voice. (laughs) And I'm not even joking. I spent longer trying to come up with the title for this message than I did on the whole message, right? Because I'm like, there has, I, was, I was Googling voice, like synonyms, like there has to be something that starts with F, there's not. If anyone can come up to me afterwards, here's your challenge, with a verse that I could have put in there, oh sorry, a word that I could have put in there that would have represented voice but started with F, like conversation or something, but anyway, that's what we've got. Five filter formula for finding father's voice. I'm gonna give you five filters this morning, and when you get an impression, when you get a thought or an idea, and you're like, is this God, is it not God, you run it through these five filters, and if you can tick off every one of these five filters, then you can be really confident that what you've heard, what you're feeling is from God. If you can't tick off all five, then I'd say chuck it, or you know, maybe rethink things. So three out of five is not enough, four out of five is not enough, you need all five, all right? And before I move on, I have to say a big thank you to Pastor Rick Warren. A lot of this, most of this, I've actually just stolen straight from Rick Warren. A couple of months ago, I was at the gym and I was listening to a Rick Warren message and I was like, this message would be perfect for when we do our prayer series when we talk about how to hear and recognize the voice of God. Uh, And so I don't want to ever be someone that stands up and kind of plagiarizes somebody's stuff and passes it off as their own. So a lot of this stuff is from from Rick's uh, message. You can actually watch it on YouTube, but it's like twice as long as what I'm going to be and... um, not as funny. So here we go. First filter. Number one, does it agree with the Bible? This is a no-brainer, right? God will never instruct you or direct you to do something that violates what he's told us to do in his word or how he's told us to live. So the first thing that I do uh, when I feel like I've got a word from God or an impression from God is I ask myself, does this agree with how God has told us to live? Because God's will never violates his word. This is why you need to know your Bibles. This is, the, this is the easiest filter to get going right off the bat. You know your Bibles. The more you read your Bible, the more you can operate out of this filter automatically. Okay, and Christians, and I'm sure this church is no exception, we are op- like often not great with our Bible reading. And I know that we're working through our Bible in a year, which is a great thing to start with, but we've got to read our Bibles. I would not be doing my job as the pastor if I didn't say read your Bibles. Please, for the love of God, read your Bibles, all right? God will never tell you to do anything that violates his word. Now, having said that, 
The reason that we've got five filters and not one is because uh, sometimes the Bible will say things and you can take it out of context, right? So just because you can find something in the Bible that kind of suggests to you that you can do what you're thinking of doing doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. So when I say, does it agree with the Bible? I mean, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, Josh, God's told me to have an affair. I can be like, no, he hasn't. Right? Because the Bible says not to. If someone came up and said, I had a dream last night, and in the dream, God unpacked like this incredible strategy to rob the bank. I can be like, no, I don't think that was God, right? Because that violates Harry's told us to live. But when we read our Bible, we've got to remember three very important things. And that's remember that you are uh, you're part of the CIA when you're reading the Bible. Okay? So the first thing you look for when you're reading the Bible is context. Okay, and scripture interprets scripture. So don't just read one verse and go, ah, there it is. That's permission for me to do what I'm thinking. You look at the wider context, what's happening in scripture in that space. And then you look at also social context and stuff as well. I mean, there's an entire book in the Bible where Paul is writing to a guy called Philemon who is a slave owner. And he's writing to him because one of Philemon's slaves ran away and started hanging out with Paul. And Paul sent him back, probably with the letter, to say, hey, look, I'm sending your slave back. Please don't be unkind to him. Now, if you read that out of context, you can go, ah, sweet, so I can just enslave people then. But that's not what the Bible is saying. And when you read other scriptures, you realize that's actually not what the Bible is promoting. But what I love about the Bible is it's not, it's just totally unfiltered. It's filled with human people that have human lives that make mistakes all the time. And very often the Bible just says, this is what happened. And it doesn't pass judgment or give us any sort of idea around what's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. It's just like, this is what happened. And then we have to use the wider picture to interpret, okay, what's God saying here? And that is the I, which is interpretation. Once you've looked at the context, you have to then go, okay, how do I interpret this verse now that I have context? And then the A is application. So I've got the context, I've interpreted the context, how am I going to apply this in my life? And uh, a classic example of Bible being misapplied is in Matthew chapter four, when the devil comes to tempt Jesus and the devil literally quotes scripture to Jesus to try and get him to do something. He takes him to a very high cliff and he says, hey, jump off the cliff, which should kill you, but it won't because remember Jesus, the Bible says that if you jump off the cliff, your feet won't hit a stone, the angels will catch you. So you should do that. Now, how many people know that we're glad that Jesus understood that was a misapplication of that scripture? So you can't just take something out of the Bible and go, oh, yep, look, there it is, I can do that. Uh, It's very dangerous. So that's one filter. Does it align with what God's word says? But it's not the only filter. Another filter is, number two, does it make me like Jesus? This is a great question to ask yourself when you're taking uh, thoughts or impressions on board. Does it make me more like Jesus? 1 John 2.6 says that whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. I went to a conference, oh, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago by a guy called Mike Connell. And he talked about the three sort of key areas or the, th- the three key things that come from being a son of God or a daughter of God. And he said, everyone has these three things, these three purposes. And the first purpose was to build intimacy with our father. That's why he created us as sons and daughters of God, to build intimacy. Number two was to discover and you know, fulfill the assignment that is given each of us, why he has put us on the planet. And then the third thing was to grow and become more like Jesus. 
So this is actually one of our key functions on this planet is to grow and develop and mature to become more and more like Jesus. And so God will never give you an idea or an impression or a thought that's going to lead you away from that direction. It's not rocket science, right? So when you read the Bible again, you go, okay, well, what was Jesus like? What does the Bible say about living like Jesus? He's kind, he's compassionate, he's caring, he's he's patient, he's loving, he's generous. All these things, you know, the fruits of the Spirit. And so you run this idea through that filter. You go, if I do this, if I undertake this idea that I've got, is that going to increase patience and generosity and love and kindness? Or actually, is this kind of a selfish thing? Is it going to make it harder for people to connect with me, harder to do relationship with people? You know, am I actually going after this idea because I have greed in my life? I want, you know, I'm going to say yes to this opportunity because it's going to increase my bank balance. You know, is it going, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you want to make sure your motivations are in the right place. So is it going to make me more like Jesus? That's filter number two. Uh, Filter number three, do my mature Christian friends confirm it? A great verse in the Bible in Proverbs 11:14: for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. There's a, another verse in Proverbs 2 that, you know, uh, a companion of fools suffers harms, but a wise man, what is it? He who hangs with the wise becomes wise. This is, this is a really easy filter to recognize. If you have an idea or a thought or an impression, and you, it runs through your head to like, I should share this with some of my mature Christian friends, and you get like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. This is, this is just for me. I want to keep this private. It's a huge red flag, right? Because God will never give you a word and then be like, don't, don't submit it to authority. That's not how Jesus' kingdom operates. Now, it's important that when you do this that you find the right people, that you're going for mature Christian friends, not just anybody, right? If, if, if I wanted marriage advice, I wouldn't go to someone who'd been divorced seven times, Right? If I wanted financial advice, I wouldn't go to someone who was perpetually broke or had bad financial habits. If I wanted parenting advice, I wouldn't go to someone that had no kids. I don't need to. They all come to me. Right? Have you noticed that? Parents with kids? Right. So if you want someone to give you advice on whether or not you've heard from God, don't go to someone that is always complaining about the fact that they can never hear from God. Like go to people that you know have a connection with God and a relationship with God and say, hey, this is what I feel like God might have said to me. I really encourage people to, as much as possible, not to start a sentence with, God has told me, and then you say what you think God said, because there's not a lot of wiggle room there for someone to kind of push back. But if you say, I feel like God might have said this, what do you think? Uh, And and I would also, I'd go to more than one person, because otherwise that's a lot of pressure to put on one person. Like, by all means, come to me and say, hey, Josh, what do you reckon? I'd say, well, this is what I think, but please find a few more people. But then don't do that thing where you just keep looking for people to tell you what you want to hear. And so you'll just go like, what do you think, Dan? Oh, I didn't like that answer. What do you think, Wendy? No, you don't know what you're talking about. What do you think, Simon? Oh, you're not in touch with God. What do you think, Amanda? Oh, yes, God must have spoken to you. We agree on this. Right, so don't do that thing. But again, and I found this in my life a couple of times. I've been like, oh, I think I could do this. And then I think, oh, I should go talk to someone about it. And I get like the, oh, no. They wouldn't understand where I'm coming from anyway. And like that's a red flag, right? If it's from God, he's like, take it, submit it to people that you respect uh, and see what they say. Uh, we're gonna spend a little bit of time on number four. Does it concern my responsibility? This is a great question to ask yourself. Listen, it is very, very rare, extremely rare that God will ask you to talk to somebody else about an issue that they have. 
We get into all sorts of trouble when we try and be somebody else's Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but usually it happens because God has tried to talk to them multiple times and they've refused to adjust. And then he might say to someone who's very mature in the Christian faith, who's in mature relationship with him, he might say, hey, can you go have a chat to that person? But it's very, very rare. In fact, so it's so rare that if you came to me and said, hey, look, I feel like God's given me a word for someone else, like I've, they've got some secret sin and I think God's told me about it, my default would be like, no, he hasn't. Like, you'll have to convince me that that was God because my default is that's not how God works because it violates the very instructions that he gives us in the Bible about how to address someone that's got an issue, right? He says, if you have a problem with someone, then the right thing to do is for you to go and talk to them first. If they won't listen to what you have to say, then you can get a mature person in the church and the two of you can then go to them and have a conversation. So if that's how God's told us to handle conflict, you go to the person first, then it makes no sense for God to not operate that way. He's well and truly capable of going to someone and saying, hey, you've got an issue that you need to fix. He doesn't need to come to you and be like, hey, can you go and talk to them for me? Um, and the problem that we have in, in the church a lot of the time is we're just obsessed with other people's business. Like, stop it. Just, if we all just focused on our own stuff, we've all got issues, we've all got problems, we've all got drama, none of us are perfect. If everybody went, you know what, I'm going to let Abel handle his own stuff. He's got tons of it. I'm going to let Esther handle her own stuff. I'm going to let Jason handle his own stuff. I've got enough of my own stuff to worry about without worrying about anybody else's stuff, right? I love this passage, and here we go again. Peter has the chance to walk away with the wind, can't do it. So this is after Jesus has been resurrected, and he's just had this conversation with Peter where he said, Peter, I'm putting you in charge of my church. It's the single most important job in the world, and I'm giving it to you, Peter. This is a pretty awesome conversation. Right, And then he says to Peter, I'm telling you, Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Now, tradition holds that Peter was ex uh, executed by crucifixion. So when he says there, someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands... He's talking, he said, Peter, you're going to be crucified just like I was. Now, tradition is that when Peter was crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus died. Like, what a phenomenal guy. Like, we, we give him a lot of stick, but the guy's phenomenal. And so Jesus says to him, follow me. Now, Peter, shut up. Just stop right there, Peter. He's given you the church. He said you're going to be a martyr for him. He says, follow me. And if Peter had just said, yeah awesome. Then he could have walked away with the wind, but he can't do it. Peter turns around and sees the disciple that Jesus loved following them, which is John. This is the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said, God, what about that guy? What about him? And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me right? What is that to you? This is something that as a church, as Christians, we need to wrap our head around this concept. This was Jesus's response to him. Hey, what is that to you? It's none of your business, Peter. None of your beeswax. I heard someone refer to this the other day as the witty principle, W-I-T-T-Y. What is that to you? You must follow me. And if all of us had this attitude, 
I think the church would be a much healthier place. What is that to you? You must follow me. Romans 4, 12, 13 says, Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on each other. Paul says, hey, look, when you die, you're going to stand in front of God, and he's not going to care what other people were doing around you. He's not going to care that they were doing this or they were saying that. All that matters is what you did with your life. Take your eyes off other people. Stop worrying about what other people are doing. And you see this in kids all the time. And adults are just grown-up kids that have learned to internalize stuff that kids say out loud. Right? You, like someone walks in and their hair looks weird and a kid goes, why does their hair look weird? And all the adults go, shh. But we're all thinking it. We didn't say it out loud. Right? That's, that's how adults work. No, I won't say that. It's all right. <laughs> say, well done, Josh. I say, well done, Josh. Right? Let us stop passing judgment on one another. I love the story of Jesus in Matthew 7, right? He's talking about judging others. And he says this, do not judge or you too will be judged. And then he says, the same way you judge others, you'll be judged that way. And the measure you use to judge others will be measured to you. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrites? And, and it's a fair comment for Jesus to make. Anytime you say to someone, hey, you've got an issue, it's like there's another verse in the Bible where he says, those without sin cast the first stone, which is literally none of us. None of us have the authority to cast the first stone. Let's just all chill out. Okay, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody gets things wrong. Some people make really obvious mistakes. Some people make mistakes hidden behind closed doors. But we all make mistakes. If God's given you a word to go and rebuke somebody else, you've got to be very, very, very sure that that's something that God's given you to do. And certainly, um, it would become clear when you go through step three and submit that to somebody else in authority, um, whether or not that's accurate. Does that make sense? You guys all good with that? All right. And then the last one, is it convicting rather than condemning? When Jesus speaks to you, and he will often do this, he's done this to me a lot, he will highlight an area of your life that needs to be worked on. But when he does it, it's always convicting rather than condemning. And the difference between conviction and condemnation is that conviction is very much problem-focused, whereas condemnation is identity-focused. Right? A great sentence to tell yourself if you're taking notes, write it down. God will never, um, God will never challenge my value. Anytime you feel that your value has been called into question, that your worth has been called into question, that's not God. God will never challenge your value. The way that conviction works is he shines a light like a laser onto an issue. And he says, here is something that you need to fix. And he'll always give you a solution at the same time. Go and talk to this person. Go and do this. You know, confess your sins, whatever it might be. Here's the problem. Here's the solution. There's hope around it. And then when you deal with it, you feel better. Condemnation is very broad, doesn't like to get specific. It's just, you know what, your whole life sucks. Everything about you sucks. You're just a loser. You know, you did that one thing wrong. You're just a horrible person. It's very broad. It's very vague. There's no solutions. It's just hitting you over and over again with a problem. And then even if you try and fix it, you still feel stink. Because condemnation isn't based around that stuff. It's just an attack on your identity. So the fifth filter you run it through when you feel like, oh, God said this, or I've got this impression, is, is it convicting? Is there a solution associated with it? Do I feel better once it's done? Or is it condemning? 
because God will never challenge your value. Make sense? Who can remember those? Who's, who can remember the five filters of finding Father's friendly voice? What was the first one? Bible. Bible. Yeah. Number two? More like Jesus. Good. Well done, Kira. My new favorite. Number three? Friends. Friends. Yeah. Number four? Uh, does it concern my responsibility? That's right. And then number five? Convicting, Convicting rather than <laughs> condemning. Right. Okay. Fire filled the formula for finding Father's voice. Nice quick come through this morning. Let's just finish. What's the time? 11.30. All right. 10 minutes, five minutes. Just break into groups. Right. Break into groups and go, okay, which, which one of those is my favorite one? Which one of those do I find easiest? Which one of those do I find hardest? No questions. Just break into groups and just talk about it. Now, let's go. All right, come on. All right, Nathan, wax the music on for me. That'd be great. 10 minutes, just four or five people around you. How did that resonate? What are you going to do differently? What was helpful?